Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Well Nurse Podcast. This is episode number 58. 57! My first one back and I mess it up? <laughs> Dang oh. it. This is episode number this is episode number 57. And uh, I'm here with Caitlin and my name is Slater. Slater's out of retirement. And I'm gonna pass it over to Caitlin because she knows what to do. <laughs> How the heck are you, dude? I've been pretty good. Well, I've been doing okay. <laughs> Coping, as Erica said on our last episode. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to. Um, still haven't been whale watching a whole lot. Yeah, but you finally been getting back on boats. So way back in March when we talked to you guys, you um, you were still in Monterey. So you're down in SoCal now. Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, yeah, I'm down in Huntington Beach right now. Um, yeah, just because of the whole, like, COVID thing, we just were, basically, we were just paying rent and paying bills and living in a place that we couldn't do anything. Yeah. And so it got to the point where we were like, okay, we're just going to run out of money if we just keep doing this. And and it was, like, in the very beginning, you know, the first two months in. And once it got to two months, we were like, okay, that's two months. They're like, it's, it's probably going to end soon. And then it was like no we're like halfway through the third month so then we were like hey we just gotta go we can't add like any more months to this of paying rent you know yeah so we moved back home fortunately we were able to do that and yeah now we're here and i've been working off and on i was working on the whale boat a little bit i told them that i because i didn't know if we were just gonna like run back to monterey as soon as it was over or what so i just wanted to leave it kind of open-ended so i uh, offered one of my friends is like the main captain of the ocean explorer so i told him hey if you need like a couple of days a week a deckhand or something like i'm more than willing to come out and it's funny because i picked up a few days and i like one a few of the days i haven't even brought a camera like it's just kind of weird you know it, it's it's one because they already have photographers um yeah, since i've gone obviously true. it makes sense um and two because they well there wasn't very many whales for the first like for like weeks and now i haven't been working with them and now they've had humpbacks the last three or four days uh, humpbacks they've had brutus whales so it's been pretty good whale watching the last uh, week here nice um and then i've also been running second operator on a overnight fishing boat um part-time because they like die everyone down here is like dying for crew yeah um yeah, if you guys are looking to get a job on a whale boat, I'm pretty sure the Ocean Explorer, the guy told me the other day, he didn't say, he just said, he's like, I want to start looking elsewhere because he asked me if I would kind of go more full time. And I'm, I don't personally want to do that just because I potentially might want to move back to Monterey or who knows where the wind's going to take me. But um, I know they definitely do need people because they are short staffed. It is going into slow season though. Yeah. Wouldn't be a normal podcast episode unless somebody's dogs went crazy. We're all three dogs. What have you been up to? Um, well, like you said, with uh, in the beginning in the spring, like I was still in Maui. And so I was like, well, I'll wait it out, see what happens. You know, Packwell had a little extra money for us as emergency pay. Um, and so I stayed for another month to see if things would reopen and see what happened and then like the writing was pretty well on the wall that things weren't going to change especially for hawaii <clears throat> so i left and i worked remotely from my parents house for a little while because um pack got the ppp program 
And then I was waiting for the season to open in Massachusetts. And so I was just hanging out in Oregon. And then things finally opened up out here. So I came out here at the end of June. And it's been pretty good. I mean, <clears throat> we're operating at a limited capacity. But it doesn't affect, like, how the crew makes money, you know. Like, we still get our normal paycheck, even though there's less people on the boat than normal. Um, you know what? It's honestly the best thing I think that could have happened for whale watching. It's forcing companies that normally would take 100 or 140 or 50 as their capacity on, and I'm talking like they take 50 on a boat that holds realistically like 30, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's forcing these people to go to half capacity and some people are even running at like 20% capacity, I think. And yeah, the trips are so much better. And I, I'll tell you what, we used to say it all the time when I first started working in Newport, we would make so much more money in tips having 12 to or having like 20 people on the boat out of 100 because we could be more personal with those 20 people than we could with 120 people you know what i mean yeah. so I, I honestly love i wish it would stay this way and unfortunately it would make the prices have to go up but yeah. it's like you get such a better experience out of it not that they're ever bad experiences while watching but you know what i mean it's just like more room and yeah, I mean, the boat I work on is 115 feet long. It's certified for 300 passengers. Yes. I think during a normal season, they would probably take 260 or so. Um, and then this year, we're taking like 35% of the full Coast Guard capacity most days. Um, but it's still kind of weird to like go up and individually talk to folks just because people are a little standoff. Yeah, well, right now it is. Yeah. But um, if it was like a year where you could normally chit-chat on deck and like not be it you know, having to be so conscientious of, you know, six feet apart and that kind of stuff. I think that people really would, it would be a, a much more <clears throat> personable experience, even though it's still quite a few people on the boat. Yeah. But a lot of people have said to me this season, like, I'm so glad that it's limited capacity. They're like, we understand that it hurts the company, but like, it's such a much better experience when the boat's not crowded. And I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> that's why that's why private whale watch trips are always amazing and why I like to do them and, and everyone likes to go on them is because limited half capacity yeah. is just is awesome. Yeah. So I think overall people have really been one, just grateful that they can even go out and do that kind of activity given everything that's happened, but two, that it's that it's not crowded, which is yeah. also nice. I thought it was gonna be like the when I first we were so like uh, negative about it in the very beginning I was like there's nobody's gonna go want to go whale watching when this opens up like and it and it's so funny because everybody I talked to was like that's all they're gonna want to do is because they can't wait to get outside and I was like yeah but I don't know because you're on the boat and you're stuck with everybody and you know what yeah. I mean? you're, you're, it's no matter what you're close quarters like the social distancing on the boat is kind of like no matter what you end up passing someone or touching the yeah. same rail they did or yeah like I mean that. but the more we learn about like the transmission rate on surfaces and it being outside, you know, whale watching, I think is probably a pretty relatively low risk activity. For sure it is. Yeah. So like we wipe down our boat every yeah. 30 minutes. All the boats in Newport have like a, uh, we have like a, a bottle that you would spray like pesticides or like. Oh, like a fogger. Yeah, exactly. And we walk around and do that to all the rails and then someone, like two people do it and another person walks behind them and wipes them all down. Yeah. So it's pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah, someone like donated all the like cleaning equipment for all the boats down there, which was kind of cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> yeah, an eco-friendly kind of... We just do spray bottles, and it's been working out okay. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. Because you're at a limited capacity, like you're definitely not seeing the people that are still really nervous about going out and doing that. But there's enough people around that are feeling confident in yeah. that you're still filling up your limited load. I've had some people. Well, I have people that are like, oh, I wish I could come, but I'm still a little nervous. Yeah, so. yeah. We've gotten that feedback a lot this year, too. Well, and then Massachusetts is one of the states that has a quarantine order. So you can only come from <clears throat> seven states to Massachusetts without having oh, to jump really? hoops. Yeah. I feel like that's how Monterey kind of was for a while. They were like the last of California to open up, it seemed like. Yeah. Especially as far as well watching. So. But, I mean, we're making the most of it. Um do a lot of their uh, customer, a lot of their customers come from Europe as well. Yeah, yeah. On a normal year, they have a big travel component from. Um, it sounds like from India and from Europe, um, but also some other parts of Asia. Like, I think they get a lot of people from China, Japan, Korea. Um, and then from India. So this year, like no international travel and, and no even nationwide travel. Like yeah. you're just getting New Englanders basically. It's so weird because I see that and yet I see someone that just like flew out of SoCal and is in Tahiti swimming with humpbacks. So I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's obviously flights open. Yeah. I think make it work if you want to do the COVID testing and the health certificates and if you oh okay so you can pay some money and, and yeah it. if you have the income to do that then yeah, they, they did so <laughs> I don't know part of me is also like it's still I still see it as kind of like socially irresponsible because like yeah you may not have COVID but like you're setting this example that people can just travel around willy-nilly and not have to think about it and it's like yeah oh. <laughs> New Zealand was really fine, and then they opened up travel to their country, and then they got COVID again. Yeah, and then, like, you don't know, like, if you're bringing it to someplace like Tahiti, like, they're going to be decimated by it. Like, they don't have resources to handle that. Like, Hawaii doesn't even have resources to handle that. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm Me, personally, I, I can wait until things are a little safer. <laughs> Yeah, the wheels will still be there. Hopefully next year is like the best whale watch year ever because we all want it and need it. <laughs> so um, while we were like kind of, I don't know, on lockdown, I wrote down a whole bunch of things that I wanted to like talk about and then just like didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. We've all been in like really separate lives. Yeah. Past few months. So, I don't know. I mean, I've I've read a couple books that, like, I really liked and recommend. Um, and then Wait, also... You, didn't you just go to the Whale Museum today? Yeah, and then I went to the Whaling Museum today, and so, yeah. You don't want to talk about that? Yeah, I do. Well, we got yeah. lots of time, dude. Talk it up. <laughs> what do you want to have there? The stuff first or the new stuff first? Old stuff first? Ah, oh, whatever. Just tell me what we're doing. <laughs> Well, I will just say that um, a couple of the books I read, like, of Orcas and Men, highly recommend. Was so good. Was so, so good. Like, the way he has, like, a different perspective on, like, kind of trying to frame, like, killer whale intelligence and, um, you know, putting a little bit. He did. Did you do it on audiobook? (laughs) Is it an audible? Because then probably not. I think it is on audible. 
What's it? Of orcas and men. Yeah. Nah, it's not. That's why. Why? Oh, dude. Maybe, it's, I'll, have to, maybe oh. I'll have to hard book it, huh? Yep. Dang it, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> my eyes will probably get sore. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good though. I mean, I right. have like, to. I have to. Maybe it I'll was order really it on approachable, camera. but it also was like still scientific, and like it put a different perspective on like how you think about these really intelligent animals that live in societies and cultures, and it was really good. I recommend. Nice. Um, and then I recommended my current favorite podcast, Drilled, when we were talking with Erica. I can't recommend it enough. It's so... If you want to learn about how corrupt the oil and gas industry is and the plastic industry, like, listen to it. It, like, makes yeah, mad yeah. and also, like, I don't know, it's just so fascinating how deeply rooted it is. Do it. What did I text you guys the other day? You and Eric. The life on our planet? What did I say, though? <laughs> Something about again, crying? Though. I don't remember. Something about, like, let's band together. No, and I said the F word, like, four times, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you did. did you I, said or did I so just send it up. to you? Mm-mm. It was both you guys? You sent it to the group text. Yeah. Dude, you have to watch Life on Our Planet. Oh, my gosh. Give me the if recap. You wanna, if you want to cry. <laughs> I can't even give you a recap, dude. Oh, this, this, put it this way. It's literally David Attenborough says, this is my witness statement. And then you cry. <laughs> 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 like, dude, it's so, like, so inspiring. Like, that guy did so many different things. And he literally, like, and it's not like he just, like, you know, like, there's so many documentaries, like, the coral, like, the coral one that talks about all the coral bleaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so like, and like, there's that one guy, the, I forget the, the scientist's name, but he talks about like in his lifetime, he's, he's, he's seen the, like, he's gone back to these places yeah. and they're just gone. Yeah. Well, like David Attenborough did that, but times a thousand, like he's gone to every, gone back to like every place and they're yeah. just like gone. Like the forest that he originally went to and it was already going bad then is like, just, they're all, everything's like at half or even way more percent, like gone, yeah. you know, like the forest wise. The ocean, like, oh my god, it's so crazy. like when I watched, um, we watched it together, right? Sylvia Earle's film that was yeah. kind of like that, too. I can't believe when they dove that one place in the South Pacific and it's so remote and they were expecting it to still be okay and it wasn't. I can't believe she didn't lose her shit in the skiff, like, she just got out and looked kind of disappointed and sad. I think I would have like freaked out. So, in this, in this life, I'll tell you one thing about it they, in life on our planet, um. They talk about Palau and how Palau shut down one third of their their fishing. Um, they made it illegal to fish in one third of their like their part of the ocean, right? And they, all of those places that were shut down, completely rebuilt and is striving so well because of it that they're overflowing into all the places that that you can fish, and so yeah. it's literally completely supporting them now. Like it's supporting them in the areas where they couldn't fish. And that whole ecosystem is just, like, thriving. That was the whole thought process behind fishing, like, marine reserves and stuff, too. But it's not coming to fruition as quickly in the United States as the Palau story sounds like it is. Well, what David Attenborough says, and I don't know what he's referring to, but he says that they're trying to put – they're try, I think they're trying to do an international, like, in all waters, like, no fishing or something like that. I forget what they're trying to do, but it's crazy. And they're like, if this happens, it would, like – completely restore most of the ocean dude if we could stop fishing outside of our exclusive economic zones like you have to fish in your own political zone yeah. that would be 
pretty life changing for a lot of parts of the ocean. And I think that's part of what it was about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I mean, once you go outside of a country's EEZ, basically right now the way that enforcement looks at it is they're like it's crime on the high seas. It's just lawless stretches of the planet, and like there's no court you can take them to for enforcement because the laws aren't written to do anything out there. And what's the what's the conference every year? Like the one that Greta talked at the. Um, oh, like the UN summit. Yeah, the UN. Yeah. So he talked, and it was, I think it was in 2018, and, and the lady goes, so you're literally, I think he, I mean, 18, 20, so he was 92, and so he was like, she was like, you could have just retired, but you're here, like, talking about this, you know what I mean? Yep. Dude, and, and he actually gets, like, you know his voice, he's, like, very inspiring and powerful, and he actually, like, says, um, he goes, um, and he, like, stops, and, like, he actually gets, like, pissed, and, like, you can tell that he's, like, when he starts talking about a certain subject, he like really got like frustrated. Yeah. And like, oh shit. Because <laughs> it, it shows him a lot of it is like it goes to him talking and then it goes over footage with him narrating it. Yeah. And then it goes back to him and like. Yeah. Just I'll have watch, to watch it. it. And you have to watch I'll, it tonight. I'll watch it. I've seen it two two and a half times. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep one of the times rewatching it. <laughs> um. Well, good. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. And I also watched the other Netflix documentary that just came out. I think it's called Kiss the Ground. It's about, like, land management and farming. And, like, it's not whale-related, obviously, but it's still, like, we live in a closed Yeah, but it's all related. Yeah, and um, it was really good. Woody Harrelson narrates it, and it was it was really, really good. I liked it. Um. And I feel like it the the way that they're proposing to manage farmland is similar to how we should manage most ecosystems. Where, where are they talking about it? Is it like because in in um, Life on Our Planet they show you the Netherlands and their farming system is so cool. It even looks cool. Yeah, it's mostly based in the U.S., but they do um, have some footage from Africa where they've introduced this like regenerative farming techniques just to restore grasslands um and kind of combat desertification which is where like you if you continue to strip the soil off the land then the desert expands and it just becomes even more useless land that's so i don't want to give it all away but like in life on our planet they basically say i forget what year they're like in 2080s or something like that there's going to be no soil left for yeah. farming anyways because they're going to they're going to use it all yeah, yeah, because if you're just doing the simple, like, plow and sow and leave your land barren for yeah. a year, then you lose all your soil. It's just dirt, and dirt's not useful. So, oh. um, yeah, so those are, that's some recommendations. I have some other book and film recommendations, too, from quarantine. Um, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about how to effectively communicate as a scientist, I finished the book, Don't Be Such a Scientist. Um, and that one was really good. It's talking about like some of the reasons why like the certain campaigns work and certain ones don't. And one of the issues with a lot of conservation campaigns is they're run by scientists and scientists want to tell you the facts because the facts are important. And don't get me wrong, the facts are important, but the effective campaigns are the ones that target your emotions and like get your gut feelings 
first and then give you the facts later. Like they get you to buy in emotionally and then the facts come afterwards and just help support what you already like in your heart agreed with. And so if you lead with the facts first, you often don't get people to invest in it emotionally and create a belief in it. Um, So he kind of like flips the whole campaign idea on its head about like, you know, whatever your messaging is, you need to get people's emotions first. It's kind of like how we, we talk about how we, um, how people like you follow those pages, like let's say the dolphin project, Mm -hmm. they show you a lot of, they show you beautiful work as well, but they show you more negative, negative visuals as you know, they show you actually slaughtering dolphins or capturing dolphins or the nets or the, the drives or whatever's going on. And we've talked about like how showing beautiful work can pull people in. And then maybe like in the caption, you could explain to them, like, this is exactly why we need to, you know, yeah. not have crab pots in Monterey or in different areas or like move them aside or just, you know what I mean? Just stuff like yeah. that. Like you could portray something beautiful and then hit them with the sad stuff on the bottom side. <clears throat> yeah. Which is, I mean, if you look at how this year has gone with, messaging during the pandemic and trying to figure out you know what the right thing to do is i think you can see it's a pretty clear communication breakdown about what people should and should not be doing and that's i mean i think you have to consider the science of it but also like how to connect to people the psychology part of it too so that was really good that's definitely on my list especially if you're trying to be a naturalist and like push or work in conservation and like push your conservation initiatives it's like you got to get people in their heartstrings first you know so and then i watched this film um which i did post on our patreon um a whole bunch of like i think it was the international ocean film festival or something they made all of their films available on the internet so i posted a link on our patreon but one of them that I watched is called Freightened. It's the real price of shipping. And that was wild. Like, talking about how we get goods around the world and, like, how, like, what's the real cost of it? Like, 90% of everything we purchase comes to us on a shipping container because it's the cheapest way to transport goods across the world. And then, like, for example, on clothing, like, if you, it says, like, made in Mexico or made in China that's like the last place where everything was put together and packaged for sale. But that's not necessarily where the materials came from. The materials could have come from four different places on three different continents before it went to that final production location in China and got the tag on it. Basically it's, it's not, it's not, it's manufactured in China or manufactured in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, I also, what, where is it? I wrote down the number one, the number one and number two most dangerous occupations in the world based on like number of incidences and deaths in the workplace. Um, the number one is fishing and number two is seafaring. So like working on those ships that go transport goods across the ocean. Oh yeah, uh, dude, that's, oh, it's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the jobs you could have in the world, the top two are on boats. They get and, paid pretty uh, well too, but they're gone for like three or four months out of the year sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and there's some questionable, um, there's some questionable workplace environments and like how they hire people or maybe don't necessarily hire people. It's more like an indentured servitude type of thing with the shipping industry, especially the international shipping industry. Like 
some of these people may or may not be getting paid. They might be put on a boat saying they have to repay a debt by working on this boat and then they can't get off it. Like, it's a pretty crazy and kind of dirty. Well, I know a lot of the container ships here, like, to, to be able to work on one, like, a lot of those guys go to, like, a four-year mar- yeah. like, mar- maritime college. Yeah. To even yeah. be, like, a deckhand on it before you can even get, like, your captain's license. and like Yeah. And, like, that's you know, in the U.S., but in other places, and what some of the international shipping companies have done is, like, they've purchased a vessel and then fly it registered in a country that's, like, a flag of convenience. So, like, they fly it as, like, a small island nation in the Caribbean because there's way less rules. You know, they're not flying a flag to get around a lot of that stuff. Just like a lot of boats in California, they they have them, they fly a Mexican flag or something because it's, if they were to keep it here, docks year-round, they'd have to pay crazy taxes on their yacht. Yeah. So then yep. they just yep. take it, they just have to leave the country for three months or whatever. I forget what it is. I think it's like three months of the year they have to put their boat in Mexico. Yeah. But then they don't have to pay the California tax on it. Yep, exactly. And then they this film said that um, vessels 300 tons or more in size, there's a shipwreck of it every three days on average per year a shipwreck yeah so like oh, yeah. these big so boats are wrecking like every three days somewhere I mean, out there in the ocean you've looked at ais right yeah <laughs> so like there's so if, many boats. if you guys want to look up a crazy app download you have to pay for it i think it's like 4.99 but it's called marine traffic and you can look at any boat that's usually it's boats that are like 65 feet in length or greater but you can look at uh <laughs> You zoom out and the whole entire ocean is speckled with ships. Yeah, you can access it on a web browser for free, marinetraffic.com. Oh, you can? Yeah. And then the other thing that I think was pretty uh, crazy, I mean, there's lots of other facts that I think are nuts about this whole thing, but um, 2% of all containers in the world are inspected. So, like, at any port anywhere where they're supposed to be maintaining security and inspections and customs and all of that they only inspect two percent of the containers being transported like nuts two percent that's like no oversight crazy so yeah so freightened that's a good one um i think frightened frightened yeah so like you know frightened but it's freight (laughs) so that was a good one that was yeah Ooh, the real price of shipping yeah, yeah. And you I read it? Mail for free. Wait, it's a documentary or you read it? It's a documentary. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um. Oh, it's it's free on Prime. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime now. It says watch now subscription. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found it on it. Mail, but if you can watch it on Amazon Prime, it's another platform you can access it on. So that's cool. Um. So yeah, a lot of this other stuff that I had written down that I was saving up for episodes is kind of old news at this point. Um, But those were kind of the things that really stood out to me is that, you know, if you're looking for something to access that's kind of at any time, that's a good film to watch. Um, Those are a couple good books. I also listened to the audiobook Fluke by Christopher Moore. It was pretty funny. Good comic relief about um, researchers in Hawaii trying to find the purpose of the whale song and goes kind of getting to alien is it newer or is it older it's older and it's based on some of the real people that work and live out in hawaii okay. um, 
but it's funny. It's like it's pretty fi it's pretty much fictional, you know. Like it's not <laughs> there's not really aliens <laughs> producing whales. <laughs> so so I also went to the New Bedford Whaling Museum today, and wow, holy moly, dude, it's so cool. Like I I could spend days there. It was like it was so amazing. And I basically had the whole thing to myself, which was also really cool because no one on the middle of the week, no one's really going there. So, yeah, it was incredible. I ha I haven't even like processed all my thoughts on it yet, but I did take a lot of pictures of the different like exhibits and infographics and stuff. So I think I'm going to put that up for our Patreon subscribers with a little bit more information about the museum. But they had what like, kind of, is it like? on right whales or is it on humpback what's their it's main on, focus like, in there all commercial whaling and they actually do a really good job of like covering the international span of it so oh. i feel like often you get like just the north atlantic like european version of whaling but like they talk about whaling from all over the world they talk about whaling in australia in africa in south america they talk about like subsistence harvesting that still happens now in the pacific northwest and in um, the arctic and um it's pretty amazing like there's a lot more there's a lot more people um represented than would normally be represented by a, a standard exhibit which was pretty cool so um they had lots of skeletons yeah it's big i guess the only whale museum i've ever been to is the whale museum in san juan island and it's yeah pretty, it's well Actually, for it being small, it's really like the upstairs lot. It's like an upstairs couple rooms, three or four rooms. But it's as much as it's small, it has a lot of information. Yeah. Set up, which is really cool. But it, it's like theirs talks, you know, a lot about killer whales. Has mm -hmm. a lot of stuff about other a few other species, just because they have skeletons in there. Yeah. But then it has like um, stuff on the indigenous populations and stuff like that too, and how it ties yeah. into it all. Um, but theirs is relatively small, so I'd be excited to go to that one by you. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to go back and, like, New Bedford itself is, like, a really cool area. It also is where the ferries launch to go out to, like, Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. And there's another whaling museum in Nantucket that I would love to go to when it's more of a, like, normal operations type year for the state. Um, but it was it was really cool to see all the different cultures represented and how whaling really kind of was at its peak as like international shipping and like international commerce was starting to become a big deal and it, it does address some of the issues with like how that also was the same time that slave trading was going on and like how that affected the industry and seafaring and like how it fueled the economies of a lot of places and so they get into some like intersectional topics that i was actually pretty impressed by most of the time when you talk about whaling, it's like a bunch of Portuguese guys and like... No, you don't know how much how much everything ties in together. Yeah, so it was really cool. And they had like, they had like jars of whale oil and like spermaceti oil and like, it was so cool. They had so many artifacts and so many skeletons. You want to use one for a lamp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then they called New Bedford when it was at the peak of whaling, you know, it was a whale cap whaling capital of the world. It was also, they called it like the city that lit the world because there was all the whale oil was coming mm -hmm. out of New Bedford. Is it right in the harbor there? Yeah, like when you're up on the upper level on the view deck, you can see the ferry terminal and the harbor. And Yeah. Looks pretty cool there. Yeah. 
Kind of like, uh, I don't know, kind of, it, it looks like similar to most of those towns on the East Coast, huh? Yeah, and then it's like, it's still old cobblestone streets and, you know, a lot of one-ways and little, I went to oh, the yeah, little yeah, yeah. shop. And yeah, it was really, it was really nice. Look, I'm Googling pictures of it as we speak. <laughs> a lot of commercial had, boats, huh? Yeah. And what's it yeah. for? Um, for fishing. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, what kind of fishing? Oh, they, it kind of depends. They still have a pretty big ground fish fishery. Um, they do, like, herring and menhaden. Yeah, a lot of saners, I see. Yeah. They do have some squid fishing. Um, they do have a little bit of cod fishing, but cod, the cod is one of those industries that um, was really overfished for a long time. So. <sighs> um, like everything. Yeah. Then they also have these drag boats that can even, like, like pluck off um, like clams and stuff from the seafloor. It's pretty wild. So, wow. yeah. And I bet there's a lot of good bycatch in it, huh? Yeah. Awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, they do like scallops and a couple of different clam fisheries. I think with like these rakes, they like drag these rakes on the seafloor. So I've seen them offload the clams in Gloucester, like right next to where we dock the hurricane too, which is kind of wild. It's like these weird, like tall rectangular cages, just like stuffed with clams and they just like take them off of the crane. But yeah, I definitely recommend the whaling museum. If you're ever in the area, it was so cool how they had just like different exhibits from all around the world. They had some really good comparative stuff, like they had a sperm whale skeleton and a human skeleton right next to each other, so you really could get a good sense of like, I mean, you could stand next to the sperm whale too, but like, you could yeah. stand back and look at the proportion also, and you were like, holy moly. I'm looking at that pic, exact, as you say it, the skeleton, and I didn't realize how much, oh, that's two skeletons next to each other. I was like, dang, I didn't realize how far the front of their mouth goes down. Wow. That's really cool. So there's two skeletons, one going opposite way of another? There's three in that one room, and then there's another room upstairs that has another sperm whale skeleton. So this one, remember, I, so there's this guy in Southern California that has whale bones that he said he's had for like 60 years. He's like, mm -hmm. he's definitely in his 70s. He's had them for a long time. And I didn't know, some of them were, I found out were like ribs and like from like a fin mm -hmm. whale or blue whale or something. But then one of them, and, and it's because they only have like a few teeth, is a sperm whale, the lower jaw. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and there's, like, pieces of jawbones and vertebrae and stuff, like, all over the museum. There's pieces of baleen. And they had this huge room of scrimshaw stuff, like, all the things you could make out of whale bones. It was pretty incredible to see, like, they had these um, things that helped you, like, skein yarn that honestly looked like a lampshade. They had all kinds of little tools and decorative pieces and toys and canes. And, yeah, it was amazing um and there also was some information that i never really i guess i never really thought about um and i think they do make a brief reference to it in the book moby dick which is on my reading list i haven't read it yet but uh sometimes whalers would bring their families with them out to sea because okay. they'd be gone so long in life on our planet there's a little boat that goes up to the whaling ships because they show whaling in it. Mm -hmm. And there's literally like a hundreds of people on this whaling ship. 
It was, and they're dragging three sperm whales. Mm -hmm. Wait, actually, they did kill a couple sperm whales, but I don't remember what they're dragging in that scene. But I think it was sperm whales, and they're literally like, they're like, we're from Canada, and we want us and our children want you to stop whaling, and it's like a hundred people on the back of this big whaling ship, and I'm like, what the heck? Like you just brought the whole town out with you? (laughs) Like you would expect there to be like 15 workers, not yeah. Like a rail of 50 people on it. Yeah, like they had this little section, very little section, about um, like wives and children going on the boat. Um, And I never even thought about that. Like I didn't, I don't know, it just like never clicked Family business, you know. Bring your whole family with you. It's just like we bring a whale watching, I guess, you know. It's just Yeah, except it's like a really rugged life. (laughs) (laughs) So... All they knew, I, I guess. mean, I, as a woman, I'm like, I don't think I'd want to give birth to a child on a whale boat. But, like, women did. Wow. Can you imagine? You definitely become a whaler. But part of me is also, like, I, I was thinking about it when I was, like, walking to the coffee shop afterwards. And I was like, you know what? If my spouse was a whaler and I had the person just back in that time period, I probably would have gone. Like, because I would want to see it. Like, I, I have a big sense of adventure. I would want to go. Uh, see the world. I don't know if I necessarily would want to have kids on the boat, but if I was like, you know, young and we're early in our relationship or whatever, like, yeah. Or if I was still the very independent woman I was, and I am now back then and somehow was empowered, I probably would work on a whaling boat just cause like, yeah. What sense, well, like what? It was such a romanticized industry, like seafaring and, you know, being out on these grand adventures and voyages. And I don't know. Do you think that the whale watching on the East Coast of the United States, well, yeah, is is like hyped up or is well known as the West Coast? Well, I feel like there's a definitely like a longer like depth of history with whale watching on the East Coast because oh. I feel like that's more like maybe where it started. Um, like the industry is a little older over here, I would say. Um. Yeah, but we had whales longer, I, technically, because they, they didn't start getting to ours until later, right? Well, yeah, so, but then they stopped hunting them earlier over here because they ran out of them, right? So the, yeah. the whale populations had a little bit more of a break before whale watching took off, I guess you could say. Um, wow, they show you all the different kinds of harpoons, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And... um I wish part of me, the other thing I thought about when I was walking out of there is like, I wish we could have seen it. I wish we could have seen the oceans and experienced the oceans before we started plundering them. Like me personally, I wish I could. Or during them, honestly, as long as we could have seen it, because there had to have been so many whales if they were just plucking out of the ocean like they did. I mean, just looking at the, just the sheer numbers of what they would harvest of right whales and then think there's only 400 left now. What's so weird to me is like, did they not see them breaching and like an enjoying life? Yeah. I mean, I think people, I don't know. Not that we know that breaching means they're having fun, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you see a freaking whale breach. You're like, damn, it looks, he's doing something cool. Yeah. I feel like the like very Eurocentric attitude about like our relationship with nature has always been we extract this type of thing. Whereas if you were to speak to like an indigenous community that has always hunted whales, but like 
for the purpose of survival, not for the purpose of sale. Their relationship with seeing an animal, you know, breaching or playing with its babies or things like that is a whole different level of connection as to like, you know, the European whalers were like, we can kill that thing and eat it and sell it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere there's a big disconnect, like where they were able to just look at a whale with its baby and be like, well, if we harpoon the baby, then the mom's going to stay next to it so that we can catch the mom too. Yeah. I'm looking like, at this scrimshaw of the, on the teeth. Yeah. Those teeth are so big. Yeah. Like big enough to have a portrait on them, you know? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Imagine if you get your teeth tattooed like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, dang, they could have, they could have like tattooed sperm whale's teeth, dude, and sent them on their way. <laughs> Cute. Well, it's so funny. I literally was looking at a humpback whale lunch feeding off topic, but I have a, a photo. I was looking at the baleen in, in the front. Sometimes you'll see baleen where it's got like, it's like all yellow and then it has like a couple black patches yeah. and then it goes back yeah. to yellow. And yeah. I was like, dude, it kind of looks like this thing has grills. Like, <laughs> I wish I could show you the photo right now. I don't know where it is. I know what you're talking about though. Cause I but it, it's in a lot, a lot of humpbacks have that. Yeah. Like a pigment thing, kind of like because yeah. there's different colorations right there at the tip. It's like pink, you know, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny, huh? Yeah, it's it's cool. I like it. It's it's definitely like humpbacks are one of the only ones that you can see that. Fin whales, if you can see like it roll on one side versus the other, then you can see the two tones. But like gray whales, it's all blonde. Blue whales, yeah. Black. So. But yeah, I mean, I just. I wish I wish we would have been able to see what the ocean was like because it's not just whales either like think of how many more birds there were and sharks and turtles and you know like there was so much more life oh but you can say that about land too right like imagine walking down the beach in Monterey and there's a bear eating a whale carcass and there's condors and there's wolves and you know like it just doesn't happen like that anymore. I don't know what news station it was on, but yesterday, last night, actually, I, I walked in the den and I saw it was on and they were talking about, I saw a sea otter and I was like, oh, it has to be Monterey. And sure enough, it was. And the guy was talking about climate change and he was talking to like the head scientist at Monterey Bay Aquarium. I don't know his name, but he, uh, anyways, it, and then they went back and forth and I, I forget who said it, but they basically said like, they were talking about the kelp, like mm -hmm. being gone and stuff, They're and like, and, stuff. and the starfish aren't doing well. Yep. And so, and then until that means that the you know otters and the sea urchins, and and so like it's like this big you know cycle. And there, the guy goes, "How come the sea otters, the kelp, the lobster, that are the, I mean, the crabs, the and then the sharks and everything?" He's like, "How can all of that know that climate change is happening?" And, and we like, don't. And we just can't like. And yeah, we can like comprehend it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I've seen this thing go around, and I think it's a really good point to make with people is climate change is a scientific documented fact. So you need to stop asking people if they believe in it and start asking people if they understand it. Because climate change is not a matter of your opinion, it's happening whether you believe in it or not. It's more a matter of do you understand it? It's that whole facts versus gut thing, right? Like people think you can believe in something or not that's scientifically proven when that's like conceptually you can't. Do you understand it or do you not understand it? It's not a belief or disbelief. It's like this is happening. 
But, yeah, it's definitely um, pretty despairing with all the things going on. But I think that there are still little places that you can celebrate life going well watching in Monterey or going well watching on Stellwagen Bank or snorkeling with turtles in Hawaii. And, you yeah, know, all can we go? You got to go work practice. there again. Huh? Got to go work there again. Margo and I were just talking. I was like, I was like, babe, we have to go to Maui like this next year. And yeah, but then it's like, we don't know if we can. And on top of that, our friend Kaylin's not going to live there this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, I had a hard choice to make about Maui. And so I don't think I'm going back there this winter because everything's still really uncertain with the trans Pacific, like flight, uh, yeah. testing stuff for COVID. They're going to pilot it in another week or so. But I, I don't know. I'm not going to hold my breath. I think it'll be better to just wait until things like public health-wise calm down. Because um, I do want to go back to Maui, but I don't want to put a burden on those island communities that really are not equipped to handle an uptick in cases. Like, when I lived on Maui and I really had to think about, like, facing the facts of, like, if the supply chain's interrupted because people start panic buying or if there is an outbreak and there's only one hospital with 20 ventilators, like what am I going to do? And I have the privilege of like not being from there and I can go back to somewhere else. Like what about the people that literally can't leave that that's their whole life is there. They're, they're indigenous to the land or they've committed their whole life there. I was like, yeah, I gotta go. I can't keep taxing the resources of this place. I gotta go. <laughs> like, so yeah. When they said on the news, when everything first started there, like, you know, Maui has a couple outpatient clinics and one real hospital. And they were like, we have 24 ventilators on the island. I was like, oh, no. That could be really bad. <laughs> the whales will still be there when you get there. Yeah, exactly. I don't think the whales are minding having less boats out there either. Oh, I was thinking, I bet you, I was talking to Margo at the park two days ago. And I was like, think about how peaceful that this park probably was like in april and may like with no one there like everyone was afraid to go outside so i'm uh, actually i'm in huntington beach which is like the <laughs> the place that was probably still going outside but <laughs> it's like you know what i mean though all the parks and nature and like the wetlands and just like no people there and like yeah. as much as i would always just promote you to go see those places it's just like it had to have been a nice relief yeah and they yeah. honestly, the animals are probably so used to it anyways that they're probably like, what the hell? There's no people today, <laughs> you know? But At least, like some of the animals, like the gulls and the pigeons are like, hey, where's our French fries? <laughs> yeah, it's like walking, walking. I'm pretty close to, to a park and I, we were walking over to a park and I was just like, God, you know how nice it would be if they were all electric cars? Like it would sound, it would just not, not and like we're so used to the sound anyways that it doesn't really affect us anyways, but it would just be so nice for it yeah. to be quiet. Well, I think it affects us at such a low level that we don't realize it. But if we didn't have it, I think it would actually make a difference. You know? And then the other thing, I mean, I'll be interested to see if they publish any results. Um, but, like, the coral reefs, too, in Hawaii. Like, not having all those people all over them every day. Actually, they noticed a difference in a really short amount of time. There was a couple groups that started studying it, like at Molokini, and then also on the island of Oahu in um, Hana'uma Bay. And, like, more predatory fish were spending more time on the reef. And, like, 
it the reef looked noticeably different without people there for several weeks or months at a time. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. So I hope we all, you know, learn something from all of this about how to get to a new normal, not just go back to the way things were. Oh my gosh, I just got a text message from Lee and he said, I'm leaving to Monterey right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, there's orcas everywhere. <laughs> he said, and orcas everywhere and in Morro Bay. <laughs> no, there's not, dude. There's no orcas anywhere. The fall is a good time to see killer whales in Central California because that's when all the large pinnipeds are coming uh, back. So, like, elephant seals and the, the sea lions have put on a bunch of weight all summer. And so it's, like, sea lion and seal buffet frenzy for the killer whales. Dude, it's so weird. Like, I can't get, I don't have any updates on Monterey. Like, nobody posting their story. They're all falling off the social media game. What is the, uh, there's one company that I hate to look up, but <laughs> they may have posted. I don't believe him. He's just making stuff up. <laughs> oh. Wait, 41 minutes ago. What are they looking at? That looks too big. It's a humpback. It's a humpback. False alarm. <laughs> He's just making up stuff. <sighs> well, I'm glad we got to kind of catch up. Hopefully, we'll get Eric on here too, and we yeah, can we'll do a, a good reunion one. Yeah, I'll watch the thing. Hopefully, Eric will watch it too, and then we can talk more about it. So, spoiler alert for the next episode that we're gonna give away all the secrets. On life on our, a life on our planet. Yeah, from the David. Honestly, like, dude, he didn't even have to make this one, and I'm sure he wanted to because it's awesome. It, hopefully, it's not his last one. I hope he has like Blue Planet three and nineteen out, like coming out, <laughs> <laughs> like th three through nineteen coming out because um, we need more Blue Planets in our lives. Yeah. Yep. Um. Oh, another podcast I've been listening to lately that I really like. It's a one season deal. It's called California City. Um, it's about this like huge real estate scam going on in the Mo Mojave Desert. I don't know. It just it seems really interesting. So if you're interested in water resources and land scams and that kind of stuff, it's just like a fascinating tale, like wild. So and really if you guys choose to watch a life on our planet, let us know so that we could like answer your questions. If you have any questions on it, not me, but probably Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I did see Killer Wells in Morro Bay. He just sent me a screenshot. Morro Bay, not Monterey. If you want to just tell Slater how many times you cried, because apparently he cried a lot watching A Life on Our Planet. Yeah. Just to make him feel better. And say you're not alone. Orcas, orcas, orcas. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and sticking with us as we go through a lot of life changes, like I'm sure you all are. And thanks to our Patreon supporters for still supporting our work throughout all of this because it still costs us money to produce the podcast every month. So we appreciate you contributing to that work. And if you don't follow us on Facebook or Instagram, it's at whale nerds. So you can follow us along on there and yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks guys. Hopefully I can be a regular guest again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Bye.